0: Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us. You may be seated. It's good, so good to see you all again. It's good to see some faces that I saw last week for the first time. Welcome to Asante Church. I'm really excited for this new series we are kicking off today called Kingdom Domain. We are going to be talking about what the kingdom is, what it means to live in the kingdom, to be a kingdom citizen, and what it looks like for us to be the church and display the kingdom. We say it every Sunday as we close out. It's about time we learned What that means, right? We're going to be talking about discipleship, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it looks like to make disciples and live obediently to the Great Commission. And also, we're going to look at society, how we engage society, and we are going to look at the church, what it looks like to be a church that follows after the heart of Jesus, that follows after the kingdom, that runs so closely to Him and loves other people. And so today, we are going to be talking about the kingdom. So, what is the kingdom? I think this is a confusing thing. We hear it a lot. We hear about the gospel of the kingdom. We hear Jesus saying in his parables that the kingdom is like this, and then he tells a story, and it's a big, long, confusing story, and we're left questioning like the disciples, Jesus, what are you saying? And then he answers those questions later on throughout the Gospels. And so I'm excited for us to dig into what the kingdom is, what our part to play in the kingdom is, and what it looks like for us to be a kingdom church. I really think that if we grasp what the kingdom is, it will change how we live as believers. It will change how we operate as a church. So first question this morning, what is the kingdom? This is the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom of heaven, as you read throughout the Gospels. This is something that has been referred to all throughout the Old Testament. And the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, same thing, all right? It's called the kingdom of heaven because Jewish people, in reverence to the name of God, would not even write God. They would write G slash D. It was Hebrew. They didn't know English back then. It was a little bit different. But out of reverence to God, that's how they approached it. And so if they were talking about the kingdom of God, They were talking about the kingdom of heaven. That's how they would refer to it. And so the kingdom of God is the reign of God. It is his presence. The kingdom is Jesus in action. The kingdom is where God's will is being done. And where God's will is being done, that's where the kingdom is being manifested. Jesus is the kingdom in person. And today we bring and we display the kingdom when we become Jesus to other people within our domains where God has sent us. That is our role. That is our job. We have a part to play in the kingdom. We are kingdom bringers because we are kingdom displayers. And so there is a long story in the Bible that is overarching all throughout from the very beginning of the Old Testament in Genesis all the way through the end. And it is the story of Jesus and Jesus bringing the kingdom, reinstating the kingdom, establishing the kingdom, and welcoming us into the kingdom. And so in the beginning, there was heaven and there was earth, two completely separate things. And then God wanted relationship with us, and so they became one. But something happened in the Garden of Eden. You you might remember, they ate the forbidden fruit, and sin entered into the world. And so where there was separation, heaven and earth, heaven, the kingdom, in our lives as humans, God brought it together, and through sin, it was torn apart completely. But there needed to be overlapped. There was separation because of sin, and the only way to get that overlap to where we could have the kingdom in our lives and it come together and us experience God Adam and Eve experienced God like we can never imagine, said he walked through the garden in the cool of the day, he called Adam by his name, and he had conversation with them, and that's what God has been longing for ever since, but sin separated that, and God is trying to bring that together, and that can only be brought together through a clean space. The overlap with God is so important, but sin destroyed it. And the only way to bring it back together is through sacrifice. And so throughout the Old Testament, throughout the Jewish faith, they set up this system called the sacrificial system. If you had sins you didn't mean to commit, then you would bring your best before God, and it was usually a grain sacrifice of some sort and you would sacrifice that at the altar to God so you could bring that relationship back together so that you could clear out space, so the separation could be brought together into the coolest, most important Venn diagram you've ever seen in your life, and that is relationship and the presence of the kingdom in your life with Jesus. If you meant to sin, it meant blood, because sin, according to this system, can only be paid for by blood. If you look at Adam and Eve, They were running around without clothes on for who knows how long. They eat the forbidden fruit. Sin enters into the picture, and they have to clothe themselves. What do they clothe themselves with? Not elephant ears. They clothe themselves with skins of animal. Blood had to cover their sin. A sacrifice had to be made. There has to be an overlap if we want to experience the presence of God. Sin is always and only atoned for by blood. Later on in the Old Testament, we see that the kingdom is represented in the tabernacle. It's said that it is the footstool of God. The Israelites, Moses as their leader, would run around the desert. They weren't running around, they were wandering around for quite a long time. They received these instructions on how to build the tabernacle. There was 12 tribes of Israel, and so the Levites, they were the ones that were the priests. They were the ones that had the duty of setting this thing up every time they stopped so that the presence of the Lord could have a footstool among his people. For those of you that are on setup and tear down here at Asante Church, I want you to realize how much easier this is than that had to be. Imagine wandering through the desert that long. Imagine setting up the house of the Lord, and if you set one sign, one banner, just slightly crooked, bad things would ensue. Everything had to be perfect. Everything had to be just right, and so that was under Moses that the tabernacle was introduced. God is with his people, and then later on, King David had a son who built a temple, and that was God's presence. That was the kingdom of God with God's people. Then we get to the New Testament. And then we encounter this man that changes everything. And the entire timeline of our history and the history of the world is based on him. And his name is Jesus. And Jesus represents the inauguration of the kingdom. He becomes a living and breathing tabernacle, the presence of God with his people. But Jesus just didn't just stay on his kingdom side and let us be in our sinful side. What Jesus did was he went after the dirty He went into the darkness, he went into the brokenness, he went into the mess, he went into the trenches to go after people. And we see in Jesus' ministry, he goes after sin and brokenness in his healing of people and his forgiveness of sins and his preaching and his teaching about the kingdom that is to come. And then Jesus takes the cross and he becomes the ultimate blood sacrifice for the permanent clean space of heaven and earth, of the kingdom and God's people to overlap. Jesus wasn't just the representation, the presence of God in the kingdom with his people in being the tabernacle. Jesus was the spotless lamb that was slain so that we could experience the presence of God, so that we could enter into the kingdom and be citizens of the kingdom of heaven through the work that he did on the cross and through his victory over sin, over death, and over the enemy. In Acts, we see that the kingdom is represented by the gospel, by the good news. Jesus continues to teach the kingdom before he ascends. Jesus is crucified on the cross. He's buried. Three days later, he raises from the dead, victorious over sin and over death, and he hangs out with his disciples, and he makes himself known to over 500 different people. And during that time, the kingdom is so important to Jesus that he is... Furthering his teaching, so they can further their understanding, so that their hearts can realize the importance of the kingdom of heaven. And then we see in the epistles, which is these letters that are written to the churches in the New Testament, after Jesus ascends into heaven, after being raised from the dead, 40 days later he ascends into heaven, now it's the age of the church. We see that Paul describes the kingdom as something that is already here, and it is certainly already here, but it is not yet here in full. You see, there will be a day when Jesus will hand the kingdom over to the Father. Every other rule on this earth, no matter political, no matter kingdom, whatever monarchy is in place, no matter what rule, whether it's the enemy or whether it's good people, is going to be destroyed. It is going to be brought under the rule of the Father. And at that point, complete, complete overlap will happen again. The kingdom will be reinstated in full, and us as believers, as followers of Jesus, putting your trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins, making him Lord of your life, we will be welcomed into the kingdom. I cannot wait for that time. But today, for me, for you, the kingdom is represented when we accept our role as followers of Jesus, and we love other people, we serve other people like Jesus, when we are Jesus to other people, when we are the church, when we display the kingdom, we become Jesus in other people's lives. We live in a dark, broken world, and just like Jesus, who went out into the darkness, into the sin, and he was salt, he was light, he has called us to do the same. That is our job. We have a part to play in this story, and you've been invited to take part in that mission. So let's be the church. Let's display the kingdom. Why is the kingdom so important? It's important because it was important to Jesus. It was Jesus' central message. Jesus teaches or proclaims the kingdom over 100 times. And so if his teachings prioritize it, we need to prioritize it. He prioritizes it in our lives and in our ministry. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be all over the place today. But right now, we're going to be in Matthew 6, 33. If you don't, we'll have it up on the screen here. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So as believers, as citizens of the kingdom, where are our priorities? What are we seeking first? If it's not his kingdom, if it's not his righteousness... And displaying his kingdom and displaying his righteousness to others our priorities are off they need to be reset Jesus prioritizes the kingdom in our prayer we need to fully utilize what Jesus made available to us in the kingdom if our personal lives are going to change if our society is going to change if your family is going to change if your workplace is going to change You have to embrace the kingdom, and you have to take that wherever you go. But first, it goes to your life, and then it goes out from your life to others. As believers, we long in a broken world with broken systems and broken politics and broken things set up all around us and leadership to fall short all the time. There's something that's written on our heart as humans that desires the garden, that wants to get back to Eden Before the forbidden fruit was ever eaten. We want to get back to how God designed things to be originally. And so we have a longing, an urgency, a desire for the things that we experience in our world and in our society to be set right. And so as kingdom citizens, it is our job to help set those things right. Accept the brokenness, but take restoration, take redemption, take the hope of the cross and the hope of Jesus with us. Matthew 6, 10 says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so when we look at these broken things all around us, and when we pray over their brokenness and over their faults and over every aspect that they fall short in our lives and the lives of people we love around us, when we pray for those things, for their restoration, when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he ended it with this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If we want to see the kingdom, that means that we long, we desire for the life that we live and experience here to look like the life that God has set up as he planned in heaven. We look to set that overlap back up. So how does it look in our lives? Mark 1, And saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So, if we want the kingdom in our lives, if we want it fully realized, we want to understand it, we want to experience it, there are two things that we need to, to do. We need to repent. To repent means we have to realize that we have sin in our lives. It means that we are broken, sinful people, and we need forgiveness. And the work of Jesus on the cross offers that forgiveness. So we turn to Jesus, and we say, I will only be forgiven because of the work that you have done. Please forgive me. And it's not just forgiveness and you go on and you keep on sinning. Repentance is forgiveness, being forgiven, coming up with a plan so that you don't fall back into that sin again. And then by the power of the Holy Spirit and your prayer to the Lord, executing on that plan so that you do not become enslaved to that sin, so that you do not fall back into that. When we repent, we are sinning, we ask for forgiveness, and we turn and we run in the opposite direction. So we repent and we believe. Have we repented? Have we repented of our sin? Maybe it was a long time ago. Maybe it was when you first entered into a relationship with Jesus, but repentance is something that needs to take place every single day. I don't think there's a single day that I make it through this life that there's not sin in my heart. I know there's a lot of you in here that have it a lot more figured out than me, so maybe every other day for you. I'm not sure where you at. Some of you guys might need to repent every five minutes. That's okay too. The importance is we are repenting from sins that we know that we know we have committed, but sins that we don't even know that we have committed. Repentance is key for a kingdom life, but also belief. Do we believe in the Lord? Do we believe that His work on the cross can save us? Do we believe in His risenness, in His victory over sin, death, and the enemy? Do we believe who He is in our life? That He wants to restore us. That He wants to make us new. That He wants relationship with us, and he wants to walk alongside us so that we can experience the kingdom. The kingdom was something that was promised long ago. The information for the kingdom was provided through the Old Testament, but as we've seen throughout our, the Road to Easter series, it was widely uncomprehended. A lot of people missed out on it. Acts 1.6 says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of heaven? Realize where they're at in the book of Acts here. Jesus has been crucified. Jesus has risen from the grave. And now Jesus is with his disciples. And his disciples that didn't get it over and over and over and over in the life of Jesus and his three years of ministry with him still are not getting it. Jesus has preached, teached, taught. I've been taught better than to say teach. okay? <laughs> sorry teachers, (laughs) on the kingdom over and over and over and even in every single parable and every single explanation, they just don't quite grasp it and I think we can do the same thing. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? They're still looking for this Messiah now that has risen from the grave to be a military power to deliver them from the oppression of Rome and Jesus has to set them straight. That's not what I'm about. I'm not about this physical world. I'm about the spiritual world. I'm not about accomplishing things through politics and through monarchies and through kingdoms and overtaking people. I'm about accomplishing things in your heart. That is what I came to set free. Not this nation of Israel. That'll happen. I'm here for you. I'm here for your heart. I think we can miss out on the kingdom agenda quite a bit, what God is doing in our lives, what God is doing in the world, and I think we get so caught up in the agendas that are going around on the news, on Facebook, I think it's really easy. Instead of following the kingdom agenda of a roaring lion, I think it's easy to get caught up following the agenda of an elephant or of a donkey. Whatever side of the aisle you find yourself on politically, we sell ourselves short for these smaller stories, for these smaller pictures. We sell ourselves short for systems that are broken. That's not the agenda we were designed to follow as believers. That's not the agenda we've been invited into, called into, to serve Jesus. We don't serve a political party. We serve a risen king. He's victorious over all that sin, all the brokenness within every single one of those systems. So let's not get caught up in the systems and the politics of this world. Let's get caught up in the system of Jesus and what he is doing in our world and how we can come alongside him, take our part in the story, and see the kingdom displayed to people that don't know him. Politics will never give you hope. In fact, during the pandemic, the more I watched the news, the more fearful and hopeless I became. There came a point I just had to turn it off. Jesus only offers hope, love, redemption, restoration. Do not fall for an agenda that is not the kingdom. And we see that this new kingdom, this new agenda, it would take new power and it would take new territory. Acts eight. but you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in Judea, in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so we see now that the Holy Spirit has joined the party. When Jesus ascends, he says, behold, someone is coming that you will do greater things than I have ever done. Greater things. And that was the power of the Holy Spirit, the power that was in Jesus. It is now available to believers. And we see that the Holy Spirit takes place at Pentecost. He indwells believers at Pentecost. And when we become believers now, that power indwells inside of us. And so we do not go to display a kingdom in our own power out of our own agenda. We go on the agenda of our king out of the king's power that is found in the Holy Spirit. And we don't just go down the street. We don't just go in our neighborhood. We don't just go next door. We don't just go to work. It says Jerusalem, hometown, Judea, a slightly bigger region separate from Jerusalem that they were not always best friends with, Samaria, the greater region as a whole, and then to the ends of the earth. And we don't do those things one step at a time. As the church in the 21st century, we have the ability to do those things all at once. And so let's not get caught up again in the smaller story of the kingdom is just what I do on Sunday. The kingdom is just my time in the Word. The kingdom is just my brothers and sisters in Jesus that I go to church with. The kingdom is so much bigger than that because the kingdom is the entire church, the universal church. Everyone that believes in the name of Jesus is a part of that kingdom. So don't get caught up in a smaller story and take the good news out to the people that don't have it. Luke 4:18 through 19. It says the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so as we're looking at what the kingdom is in our lives, there are actionable steps that we can take from God's word and we can directly apply it. This means that we share the good news, the good news of the kingdom, the good news of the forgiveness that ushers us in and invites us in to the kingdom, to the poor, to the captives, to the blind, and to the oppressed. But it doesn't stop there. Matthew 25, 31 through 46. This is a little bit longer. If you've got your Bibles, you can open it up to this one, and it might just take me longer to read it. <laughs> when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, Then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger and naked or sick and are in prison and did not minister to you? And then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So it is from this that we get our first point this morning. And don't worry, it will not take me near as long to get to the second or third point as it did the first. Our first point is kingdom people serve people. So what are our actionable steps? How do we bring the kingdom? How do we display the kingdom as kingdom citizens, as followers of Jesus? And we see in these scriptures, we feed the hungry. We give drink to the thirsty. We clothe the naked. We visit the sick and the imprisoned, and we welcome the strangers. When kingdom people serve people, kingdom people serve Jesus. We are not just doing these things and seeing the effect of them in the physical realm. When we serve people, when we love people in the physical world, we see that there is a shift in the spiritual world. Because of our second point today, kingdom people serve Jesus. Kingdom people serve serve Jesus. There are actionable steps, and these actionable steps take place in the physical, and they take place in the spiritual. When we share the good news to those who need to hear it, something happens. When we meet a need of the poor physically, what happens spiritually? They're spiritually bankrupt, and they have no hope. They find the most glorious riches they've ever seen in the depths of the love of Christ and his forgiveness for them, his wanting to have a relationship with them, and they find hope. What about the captives? What about the people who are enslaved to sin, who are enslaved to addiction? Jesus offers liberty, he offers freedom. They can be set free. What about the blind who have not seen the truth? Christian, you have the truth. Help the blind to see. Don't keep it bottled up inside. Be a light that, delight, that lights the way, that lights their path. And what about the oppressed? They're beaten down and they're broken due to the brokenness in their life. Either the things that they have done that have put them in bad situations for themselves or the bad situations they've been in where sin and brokenness have been acted out upon them. Jesus is their hope. Jesus is their love. Jesus is full of mercy, and Jesus is full of restoration. He can bring healing. So we feed the hungry. We bring drink to the thirsty. We clothe the naked. We visit the sick and the imprisoned, and we welcome the strangers, not just to meet a need that they may have, but so that they can have a chance to be entered in, to be ushered in to the kingdom of heaven. I've seen this in my life over and over again, and I think I shared this at our very first message at Sun City West like a year ago, it seems like. It's probably just six weeks. It's been a long time. (laughs) Something that I have noticed in my life is that when you meet a need physically in someone's life, you earn the right. You earn their respect. They give you the ability to share the gospel with them. When I was 19, I went on a um, mission trip to Africa, it was in the country of Ghana, and I was in the city of Accra. And within Accra, there was um, this little town, a little shanty town called Ababushi. Um, Ababushi was 10,000 people that lived in a five-mile radius. It was the most poverty-stricken, um, nasty, most disgusting uh, place I've ever been. Um, one of the nicest built houses there was made out of... Um, Oh man, what's those things that uh, all the moms make crafts from on Etsy? Clay. What's that? Clay. Clay? Oh, that too. Uh <laughs> pallet wood. There we go. Pallet wood. The nicest home I saw there was a pallet wood home with cardboard and corrugated steel. The entire 10,000 people within Avabushi shared the same bathroom and the same the same shower and they were about down to here, so if you were any taller than that, it wasn't gonna be fun for you. What I noticed is, we were in Abubushi for a week and a half, we traveled around, and it was our job, stationed in this little town, to share the gospel, and then to tell them that there was a medical mission coming at the end of the week and a half that we were gonna be there. So we got there eight o'clock every morning, we left right around eight o'clock every night, taxied in back and forth, crazy, Um, and we shared the gospel. And hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people would gather around, and one lady said, Brad Pitt? And I was like, no, but thanks. (laughs) They had not seen someone as light as me before. And so it drew a crowd. It drew attention. One person thought I was John Cena, and that was maybe more of a compliment than Brad Pitt because I was trying to get swole, you know? Uh, But they couldn't see me. So we share the gospel, and nobody comes to know Jesus. Jesus. We get out there the next day, we share the gospel from sunup to sundown, and nobody comes to know Jesus. There was a lot of spiritual warfare that was taking place, yes. But there was something that was a disconnect, and so I was trying to figure out what this was. And finally, at the end of the week and a half that we were in this town, our medical mission team showed up. And all these thousands of people that we have shared the gospel with showed up at the medical mission. Except today, there was something different. They got to see a doctor. They got to have their ailments, their sicknesses, their illnesses diagnosed. They got medicine, prescription, they got malaria pills. If they needed glasses, they got glasses. If they needed braces, they got, well, not braces for the teeth, but, you know, for their bones. We didn't have an orthodontist with us. That would have been a lot of equipment. (laughs) A need was met. And I was a counselor that day. And so my job from sunup to sundown was to ask them how their visit was, ask them what was going on, how we could pray for them, continue to, and then to share the gospel with them. And from 8 o'clock in the morning until 8 o'clock at night, I got to counsel 96 different people. And 95 of those people said they wanted a relationship with Jesus after they were counseled. The first one was a young man. He was 12 years old, and his dad was the Muslim leader in that area. And he said, I want to accept Jesus in my life, but if I do, I know I need to go public with my faith. And I know that as soon as I go public, my family will disown me, and my dad will murder me." And so he, he was terrified, and he couldn't move forward. And 95 people after him made a decision to follow Jesus. What was the difference? The difference was we weren't just showing up, having conversation, never having done anything for these people. The difference was we met a physical need in their life, and that just opened a little crack in the door for the Holy Spirit to bust through, for God to call them into relationship with him, and a spiritual need, the biggest spiritual need was met in their life. So as kingdom people, we meet physical needs, we meet emotional needs. As a church, that has been our goal for this community since day one. We're going to meet physical needs, we're going to meet emotional needs. If there's something that someone in this community needs, guess what? That's our job. That's on us. That's why God has put us here. Let us be good stewards to our neighbors. Let us love God and let us love others, and let us bring the kingdom. Kingdom living is messy, and it's messy because it is people, but I want to tell you this right now. As messy as it gets, as dirty as the trenches get, as you are going to battle for other people in your life, it is worth it. It is worth it. It is worth the years of sacrifice that you make. It is worth the years of praying that you spend on your knees for that person to enter into a relationship with Jesus, because when that time comes, you know that you will see that person for an eternity in the presence and in the love of God in heaven. If it's just one person, it's worth it. Third point today is kingdom people have a kingdom filter. We'll close out as this. We'll close out with this. As a church, I think it's going to be crucial for us moving forward to reframe things. I think in America, we can get this church filter, and we have a church way of doing things and a church way of thinking of things. I want us to break away from that. And I want us to focus on the kingdom because Jesus taught the kingdom. And as the church, we are a part of the kingdom. And the first part of that is the gospel. The church rep- presents a gospel of atonement, which is forgiveness. And that is crucial because we need forgiveness of our sins, but that is a partial gospel. What Jesus preached, the kingdom filter is the gospel of the kingdom. The kingdom moves us from conversion only to transformation, to a life with Jesus, and from segmentation to integration. When it comes to discipleship, the filter of the church is a member, is a disciple, is a member who shows up on Sunday, who ties, and who maybe serves. But a disciple in the kingdom is someone that hears and obeys. It's an obedient follower of Jesus that is led by the Holy Spirit. The kingdom moves us from consumerism to servanthood. The third thing is society. Our church filter sees society as an enemy. There's no concern for the world since our gospel, the gospel of atonement, informs us that the end goal is limited to heaven. We have a get out of hell free card in the work of Jesus. That is the filter of the church. And I'm not saying this is every church you've been a part of. I'm saying that overall, this is how I have seen it. But the kingdom... The kingdom sees society as a grid in which we can operate. And the goal is to bring heaven to earth, just as Jesus taught us to pray, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the fourth and final one, the kingdom moves us from projects to people, and then the church. The church in a church filter is a building, is a place where we meet, and that's where the presence of God is limited to. But the kingdom, the kingdom in Greek is ekklesia, that is the assembly, that is the gathering of believers. And so the kingdom of God is the family of God living under his rule in his reign. And the kingdom moves us from individualism to family, from a tribal faith to a global church. And so let's put down our filters, our glasses with our church lenses. Let's put those down. If you have Instagram, let's switch from the church filter over to the kingdom filter, and let's realize the bigger story we've been invited into because of Jesus. Let's realize our role in that story as a church. Let's be the church. Let's display the kingdom. Let's pray. Jesus, reorient us. Restructure our minds and how we see our walks with you, and how we see the kingdom, and how we experience the kingdom, In our role in bringing the kingdom, by displaying the kingdom, Jesus, help us to meet needs in the lives of others so that they can become kingdom citizens. Help us not to limit your gospel to forgiveness and forgiveness only, but to see that atonement, forgiveness, your work on the cross, that is the gate, that is the drawbridge that we get to step over to enter into something so much bigger. Help us to be kingdom people who love you, who take our job as citizens with the responsibility that it requires. Help us to love you and help us to love others, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. At this time, we're going to take communion. Peter is going to lead us in our communion meditation today. You may be seated. Peter, join me.
1: As we get uh, ready to... Take the Lord's Supper together. First of all, this, I want to make sure everybody has one of these compact little wafer and juice cups. If not, there are a couple people. Just raise your hand if you need one. This one over here. I want to read just a couple verses from the book of 1 uh, Timothy. And just as a quick reminder, if you remember from the book of 1 Timothy, it was written by the Apostle Paul to basically his understudy, Timothy. And at the beginning, he writes this, just a couple verses I want us to think about in chapter 1, starting with verse 12. Paul wrote this, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent aggressor. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. And then I want to focus on this final verse I want to read. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. I can imagine... Being Timothy and receiving this letter from the Apostle Paul. And, he, and Apostle Paul, you know, we, we think of him as someone awesome and great, as a leader of the church, part of the foundation of the church, as Ephesians tells us. But he's saying he's of the worst sinners. And when I read that, I scratched my head and I said, How can that be? I usually think of myself as the worst sinner. But did you catch the emphasis part? There's a trustworthy statement. Jesus came to die for sins, for sinners. He came to die for the Apostle Paul. We think of him as being an integral part of the church, but he came to die for me individually. And, of course, I only know my sins. You only know your own personal sins. But Jesus came to die for you personally and when we take the Lord's Supper that's what we want to remember why Jesus came he came first and foremost to die for sinners in Luke chapter 22 Jesus was eating this last meal with his disciples and he took some bread and this is what it says And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us do that together now. Luke goes on to record, he says, And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Take this in remembrance of me. Let's have a word of prayer together. Our great God, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son, Jesus. The thing that we can do as the church together is so important is taking the supper together. To remember Jesus, our Savior. He died for us, each and every single one of us individually, for our sins. Help us to remember how great our sins are and the great price that was paid. Help us also to remember the flip side of that, which is Jesus rose from the dead and conquered sin and death and has given us victory because of what he did. In your son's name we do pray. Amen.